1: luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.
0: Welcome to Ireland's Birth Stories, a podcast created for women to share their experiences with pregnancy and birth. My name is Cora Gurnan and I've created this space to enable women to share their experiences from start to finish without feeling shy about the detail. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so through Patreon. I have attached the link on the website, so if you just visit the website, irelandsbirthstories.ie, you can then find the Patreon link there. Thank you to those that have. In this week's episode, I chat to Julie and she talks me through her one pregnancy and the birth of her son, Ricky. Julie has cerebral palsy and she made the decision to years prior to conception that she was going to get herself as physically fit as possible before embarking on a journey into motherhood so she talks us through her pregnancy how she felt what she did to make sure she was as comfortable as possible and then talks us through the plan that was put in place together with her obstetrician to bring Ricky into the world I hope you enjoyed this week's episode Julie you're very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast if you wanted to start by giving us a little introduction to you and your family
2: well So my name is Julie. Uh, I'm married to David and we have a son, Ricky, who's just about to turn one year old in a couple of weeks. So he was born on on the 16th of December
0: 2019. Lovely. Yeah. So just shy of one. Yeah, cool.
2: Yeah, um, I I'm actually when I said that I got emotional. You know, when it's coming up to the milestone, it's it's really exciting. Um, so I suppose my story is a little bit unusual in that I have cerebral palsy, so I have a physical disability. So um, nobody knew what pregnancy would mean for me, or what giving birth would mean, or um, there's very little uh, research and evidence in Ireland about. Uh, physical disability and and pregnancy in particular I think uh, this podcast shows you know that women are willing to share their stories and it's lovely to hear people's stories but I think traditionally in Ireland we're not very good at sharing our experience and saying this has happened to me and and this is how it worked for me and that's particularly the case um, in the community of people with disabilities so I suppose that's why I want to share my story because I think it's really important that people hear that women with disabilities have babies too (laughs) and um, that we're part of the same community as everybody else. Um, um, I'll never forget telling my husband, David, that I was pregnant. Um, I just had a feeling and I couldn't wait any longer and it was half five in the morning and I just skipped to the bathroom and did the test. And I walk on two sticks and he said he knew immediately it was either really, really good news or really, really bad news because I was stood straight up like a poker straight, which (laughs) never happens. And um, I just said, uh, I'm pregnant. And he just punched the air like such a triumph for us both. And um, I suppose from that moment on, it was a roller coaster of a ride. Um, I was born with cerebral palsy. So I was born at 29 weeks myself. Um, So obviously, uh, I'm 35. So that was very early um, in, in those days. And my husband David was also premature and also has cerebral palsy. So I suppose we were going into pregnancy and having kids with our eyes open, knowing that there can be complications and it's not all sunshine and rainbows, but still at the same time, having a shared vision of wanting to have a family and wanting to go on that journey together. Um, So from the get-go, I had a really lovely team around me and I suppose that's the way I deal with my disability in general, that I have phenomenal people around me, so that's how... I get the support that I need um, but we knew I suppose when I was pregnant that we couldn't rely on disability services in Ireland because they're not um, steadfast and you know they they can be hit and miss whether you get what you need or not and um, it's kind of on a case-by-case basis so we made the, desi- the decision very, very early on even though we had been living together independently for six years that we would move back home to my parental home to have the support of my parents. And ever before I met David, that was kind of always going to be the plan if I ever uh, was going to be pregnant. You know, my parents always said, just come home. We'll do it. Sort it all out. It'll be grand. So They were delighted to have you home, were they?
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: I've always known that that was was a, a, a reasonable thing to do and that they would be delighted to have us. Um, So again, telling them that uh, it was coming down the track was really lovely thing to be able to do. And um, so Ricky, my son, is first grandchild on my side so it was really exciting for them as well and um, and so we moved home in June 2019 and I was around 12 weeks pregnant and starting to tell people because otherwise it would have been a really weird move people like yeah. what what are they doing I'm coming back home this makes no sense so um obviously when I was pregnant it it did make sense and I I need to say that I'm independent to a fault and so is David but at the same time we were realistic in that we wanted to put our child first from the very first moment of knowing that they existed and doing everything that we needed to do to make sure of make sure of a safe delivery and that I would be safe and well as well. And how Um, did you
0: feel in the first trimester?
2: Um The funny thing about my pregnancy was I mitigated for all of the things that my disability could cause and had all of those things in place. And then I ended up with the most severe of everything else that every other woman also gets. (laughs) So so I was really sick from the get go, like really nauseous. And um, I was really just uncomfortable all of the time. I had the insomnia and I I had horrendous heartburn and um, all of those lovely things. That um, Does Ricky have lots of hair? Yeah, uh, he didn't. Yeah, I was, <laughs> was one of the ones that debunked uh, the all wives tale. But um, yeah, I had all of those lovely things. But I suppose uh, it was kind of funny because I was expecting that, you know, I wouldn't be able to walk and that my back would be in trouble and that my pelvis would be in trouble. And I did, my pelvis did move. Um, so my pelvis would generally be slightly out anyway because of my cerebral palsy, but it did move further at 22 weeks. So that was quite painful. Uh, but the wonderful um, physiotherapy team put me right within a few weeks and my pelvis is actually better now than ever before having a child, because it was something that was never looked at because of cerebral palsy, and probably should have been looked at years ago. I just assumed I had back pain because of cerebral palsy, and that was the end of it, without kind of delving into it any further. So actually having my son made me look at those things in a different way and say, actually, hang on, maybe I can do something about this. Because because during pregnancy, I was able to solve it and I would have a lot of tension in my body. Like if you, if you can see me, you can probably see um, some tension if I'm sitting in front of you, like all my men, my muscles tend to, to tense up. And because of the lovely pregnancy hormones that really relax a lot. Um, so there was a lot of pregnancy other than my back being a little bit uncomfortable where I was more comfortable than I would normally be just sitting and, and and doing ordinary things. So that, that was a really strange <laughs> sensation, I guess, because I never had that sensation before of not having that tension in my body. But it was phenomenal to kind of feel how my female body rather than my disabled body just took over and the pregnancy hormones just did their thing. And I grew a baby like everybody else grows a baby. And uh, it was just really really special time for me and, you know it's probably a bit strange to say but particularly in the early days I was really proud you know that my body could do this because society or, or the wider society at least has had always looked at my body as something that was less or something that that wasn't as good as everybody else's body and now here I was you know procreating and it was really really like kind of
0: suck it to the world I can do this too absolutely yes so yeah, was, yeah.
2: Um, and that's probably a selfish way of looking at it but that's genuinely how I felt and then I am um, rhesus negative so uh, I had to be careful then in case the baby was is positive, because my husband has positive blood type, and of course, yes, <laughs> the baby was Rhesus positive, so one of the things around um, needing the anti-D injection is to be very careful of falls and bumps, so that was something that scared me quite a lot, because falls and bumps are uh, part and parcel of having a phys- physical disability. Before being pregnant, I wouldn't have thought twice about falling, maybe once or twice a week. Um, so obviously, then, when when I was carrying a baby, it was really important that I didn't fall. But it was also a privilege because I was doing it for my child. So it was actually very easy to be to say, "Hang on, I can't do that actually because that's risky for my child." Um, before that, I would have taken any risk. You ask, ask <laughs> and, and, yeah, asked me, and you know, jumped off a building for you yeah, and not. Thought twice about myself, but uh, as a mum, it's it's a different story when you're thinking about your unborn child. Um,
0: and sometimes that can take a while to adjust to as well. Um, uh, acknowledging that, you're, or remembering that, especially in the early days, you're like, actually, no, I have to stop myself from doing that. And then once you do it, you really find you look after yourself so much more than you would otherwise. Yeah. yeah. Well, I
2: think. I was lucky that I was so sick in the early days. So I I really mm-hmm. had to stop. I had no choice. I was exhausted, tired, and I couldn't do anything. So I was doing the bare minimum at work really until I could tell tell people that I was pregnant. Yeah. And then um once I and I told work very early on that I was pregnant and then I actually stopped work at 20 weeks pregnant. I had a conversation with my GP who was phenomenal. He's just an incredible man. And I he just said, look, like, you need to look at this as a job that you need to do. And you just need to put it first and mm. just forget about everything else. You know, we can put all the supports you need in place around you to say you don't need to work you need to do this job right now and having that conversation very early on was was really helpful to me and it was the same with my obstetrician she was incredible as well. We sat down again early in my pregnancy and she said, I'll be straight with you. I haven't worked with somebody with cerebral palsy before. I don't know how this is going to go. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen for you. You probably know better than me what, what it's going to feel like for you. And sure, I hadn't a clue, I hadn't a notion. And um, so those conversations were really valuable to me that my experience was being led by me. And the, yeah. the professionals around me were like, right, we're going to listen to you and uh, take our lead from you and then do what we need to do um, to support you. Probably one of the things I did do uh, was suffer a little bit too much in terms of the heartburn and the the other symptoms of pregnancy, I suppose, because they were severe, but I didn't really understand that they were severe I was like this is just what happens to people who are pregnant and because I deal with tension and pain and all of those things all of the time because of my disability I probably accepted a higher level than I should have Um, but like that's just the determination that was in me and then kind of a little bit later on you know again the doctors around me were like we can give you something for that heartburn. You can take some medication that's completely safe and then you'll feel better and you can do more. And um, I got a urinary tract infection when I was pregnant as well. Again, it took me a couple of days to spot that because I was like, Oh, I'm just sick. And every pregnant woman is sick. And so Mm. I guess having a level of, a level of things to deal with in my everyday life made me kind of accept a little bit more. And, That's no bad thing. But I think if I was back again, you know, I'd be like, okay, let's just take all of this lovely stuff at the start and not have to go through this. And yeah, like I know if you were talking to my mom, who I'm extremely close to and has been incredible throughout the whole journey, she would tell you I had a really difficult pregnancy, whereas... I view it as quite a positive experience. And she kind of looks at me quizzically like, how, how was that positive in any way? (laughs) You know, you were, you were in pain and you were exhausted and you were sick all of the time. But the way I look at it is there was a prize at the end. There's a lot of my life where I have pain and there's no prize. (laughs) It's just life. So when there was, you know, an end goal, and again, it sounds very simplistic to say there. There is a prize, but there was a, there was an outcome. There was a reason all of these things were happening. So it was very easy for me to deal with. Um, You know, I I felt like I was doing something worthwhile, even if it didn't feel great. I didn't sleep from 32 weeks on. um, So I kind of had to sleep sort of sitting up couldn't couldn't lie so I have a a curvature it's like curvature in my spine and I as the bump got bigger I couldn't get comfortable anywhere anywhere now I know a lot of women will say that anyway without a curvature in the spine but that kind of exacerbated not being able to find a position that's comfortable and even as I'm saying that I'm kind of rocking remembering trying to, to find a comfortable way to sit and and lie later on in pregnancy. And then at um, 29 weeks was a really emotional moment for me because that was the point that I was born myself. So I was like, right, we've got to this point. So if you've got here, I survived. So you will too. And I had actually asked my obstetrician to have a scan on that day because I, I just knew in myself that that would be a, a big day for us um, and I know my mum she didn't breathe until <laughs> until that day um, and she kept kind of you know reminding me that until that point anything could go wrong you know that, that, that there was no guarantees and I know she was trying to protect me but in some ways it, those until we got to that point it was really difficult to to hear that and and to keep being reminded of that because I was so excited about having my first child and I was mm. acutely aware of the risks um, but I didn't want to to think about that eventuality um, so when we got to twenty nine weeks I was I was really relieved um, and uh, obviously like now twenty six weeks is is viability and certainly at 26 weeks I certainly did go okay we're, we're nearly there but you know, I, I was a lot happier at, at 29 weeks and uh, Ricky was born at 38 weeks and five days so he did phenomenally well <laughs> um, certainly yeah, did. he certainly did <laughs> and um, yeah I mean he and at every scan he was growing and you know I remember even at the at earlier scans we saw his legs kicking and I was like yeah, yeah, yeah we're sorted because you know my legs wouldn't have wouldn't kick because of cerebral palsy so once I saw that I was like hey we're away in a hack you know <laughs> the legs were working. yeah and yeah. it's funny how your brain you know like cerebral palsy is not a hereditary thing um and you know I knew that uh, but at the same time your your heart kind of wants to just tick all of those boxes and make sure that uh, everything will be okay and um, it, it was really emotional to get to the 29 weeks and think yeah we're gonna we're gonna make it to the finish line here and uh, it was always a plan that I would have a c-section um, because
0: Okay so I was going to ask so when you got to 29 week mark you probably went okay now I can start like preparing myself both mentally and you know the little touches maybe at home or your hospital bag and all that sort of stuff so you they had discussed basically that you're going to have any
2: any of that before okay because we hadn't bought anything for the baby we hadn't
0: Right. Okay.
2: Um. And and I was very conscious of it. I was like, you know, uh, and I and I was tempted before twenty nine weeks, but almost out of respect for my mom, I was like, no, I, I I know this is an emotional thing for her, and we were in the same mm-hmm. house, and um, you know, she was reliving her first pregnancy, watching me go through my
0: through you, yeah, <gasps> and
2: I was her first pregnancy, so her first pregnancy didn't go past 29 weeks. So, you know, there there was a lot of emotional Mm. history there. Um, And it must have been harrowing for her to to be so scared and trying not to say that she was scared. I mean, I knew knew full well she was terrified. But, um, you know, we just kind of kept going. And we did acknowledge it at, at a number of points, but... Once we were past that point, you know, I know in her head there was a viable baby, and um, yeah. and especially I suppose for somebody watching on who's not feeling the movement and not not feeling the baby in, inside them, it's, it must be a different thing to watch. Um, and it was just really wonderful to get to that point. But I had always, I'm a planner, and I read everything, and and I and I have to know what the plan is and what I'm going to do and what you know I've kind of all of the what ifs covered in my head before I talk to anybody else and so that's the way I was about having a baby as well you know like I started preparing for pregnancy two years beforehand I started working with personal trainer and okay right getting myself as physically fit as I could do Um, because I knew that that would be the make or break for me because me having children was a long game I guess because okay maybe I could get through one pregnancy on a wing and a prayer but when you're planning your family you're hoping that you're gonna have more than one baby and uh, you know so I wanted to be as fit and as able as I could be going into it. And I'm really, really glad I did that. When I got to the physiotherapy suite, you know, the physio said to me, I really wish other women prepared for pregnancy like you have. You are ready to go. (laughs) And, you know, and she said, we we know what might happen. You know, we we know how to treat it. And if something unexpected comes up, we're all here. We'll figure it out. Um, you've done really well. And like that was that was the best I could do. And that's kind of how I've done everything in my life is face it
0: head on and and do the best that I can do. Um Can I just ask you, sorry? You mentioned that you went into physio. Did you have additional appointments appointments um around surrounding physio and anything like that throughout your pregnancy? Yes.
2: Um so I engaged with the physiotherapy department when I was six weeks pregnant and I saw them every two weeks from then okay. until I, I gave birth. Um, because it was, again, we were very unsure at any stage, anything could have happened that that we didn't know. Um, particularly when my pelvis did move at 22, 20, 22 weeks. Um, that, you know, it might happen again, or it might keep happening, or, and, you know, we, we, d- we did a lot of work to, to keep it in place while I was pregnant, and again, it was, it was a reassurance for me, you know, things like, um, I'm probably going to get the advice wrong now, but I think you're not supposed to lie on your
0: right, or oh, Gina, not- I can't even not- remember now,
2: no, no, so anyway, you're not supposed to lie on Once one I- side, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, I couldn't lie on the other side, like completely uncomfortable for me, not a hope. So I went into the physio and was like distressed because I just could not lie on the, you know, prescribed side, and she's like of course you can't you have a carvester in your spine that's turned the other way of course you can't lie that way that makes perfect sense so for your baby this is not a problem because you can't like that anyway so everything has grown the other way so it's just fine right okay you know, yeah yeah so it was even just to have that reassurance that no sure nothing appeared in a scan to say that this is a problem so don't make it a problem it's fine um and like like you said like the physio was uh pivotal in ensuring that i stayed at the speed i should be at she kept asking me you know are you are you getting enough rest are you sure are you stopping when you when Mm. you should you know um You don't have to know me for very long to know that I just kind of keep plowing on. (laughs) So, so stopping me in my tracks was, was probably the biggest thing to do during pregnancy. And then I always knew that pushing would be, would be difficult for me. So I have really, really tight hips. So, um, you know, giving birth naturally without ever going through the sensations, I kind of knew it would be really, really difficult And I was nervous about broaching that subject, you know, because it's the ultimate. Everybody wants to give, uh, have as natural experience as they can. Well, maybe, maybe that's just a preconception of mine, but I was like, I have to have all of, all of the support and, you know, it'll have to be a a C-section to work for me, I think. And the moment I said that to my obstetrician, she absolutely agreed. She said, if that's if that's the way you feel then that's what we do and we're not going to make it any any more difficult for you than it has to be and also we didn't want anything to be an emergency situation. Yeah um so it was a case of all of this has to be planned we have to know when this is happening and all of the team need to be around you for this to happen. And like like I was saying you know physio was pivotal to that. So even at the point of entering the hospital, the physio came up to the room and said, OK, well, we have to move this locker out of the way here, because otherwise you're not going to be able to move around this room. And we have to, you know, make sure the bed is this height, because otherwise after surgery, you won't be able to get out of the bed, etc., etc." So it was all of that kind of planning that that was really important. So. I actually went into hospital a week before I was due to have the C-section. So when I think about my birth experience now when I'm talking to you in 2020, I am so grateful <laughs> that all of this didn't happen during Covid mm-hmm. because I wouldn't have access to physiotherapy um in in the in the strict lockdowns and I wouldn't have had the wherewithal to be in hospital for such a length of time with the support around me and so my almost my view of my birth experience has changed in the light of COVID because I did have everything I needed and I did have uh, the support that I needed even though it was quite tough at the time yeah um looking back it was actually very positive so I went into hospital um a week before the section Um, so I went into hospital on the 9th of December and when I was admitted uh, it came to light that there was no wheelchair accessible room in the hospital Um, and I kind of was a bit aghast at you know that there wasn't um, facilities available for women with disabilities. When I got in, and that was part of the reason I wanted to go into the hospital early, because I was like, okay, I want to be in there and I want to be comfortable and I want to know my surroundings so that when I do have surgery, because a C-section is surgery, no matter what way you um, I want to be in the best position possible to recover, and... I had never had surgery before and that was also something that people were really surprised at they assumed because i had a disability i was well used to being in a hospital you know and that it was it was something that it was just another chapter i had never been in a hospital i think i had spent one night in a hospital in my adult life for iv antibiotics other than that i had no experience whatsoever of the hospital system. Now I'm very lucky in that I I work for an advocacy organization. So I'm very used to advocating for other people, not to mind myself. Um, so <laughs> and I work closely with the HSE a lot. So that really helped my knowledge and my language around what was happening around me. So when I was and and I am going to get serious for a while and I hope you don't mind because yeah, I think it's really not. important to highlight um when I was admitted to the hospital I, as I say, we realized that that the accessibility wasn't great and the nurses on the ground were really like trying to help and trying to figure out what room would work best. And, you know, I'm talking about things as simple as, you know, a higher toilet so that, you know, when you can't bend after surgery or if you have a significant disability that you can use the toilet, that there are bars in the toilet, that there is a shower chair in the shower and you know that there's enough space in the room that I can use my wheelchair to get to and from the bed like those are the things I'm talking about I'm not talking about five-star luxury or anything like that so it turned out I was put in one room initially and they had told me that it was accessible and then when I had a look at it it wasn't and you know it wasn't manageable for me. So I spoke to the staff and they said, oh, well, this is the best that we have. And I I really found that difficult to believe. So I spoke to my obstetrician who spent, I think, almost a whole day going around the hospital trying to find something better because she too was incredulous. And eventually they decided that no what what they were offering was all that they had and um I had a feeling that that people just weren't hearing me they just weren't hearing that this was actually critical to this whole procedure going well for me um so I called um physio again because I thought, you know, they, they may have been around the hospital more. And I said, there, there has to be something better. There has to be a wheelchair accessible toilet in this hospital that I can access. And um, again, they were to and to and fro and trying their best. And I have a really great friend, Katie, who's an occupational therapist. So occupational therapists deal with all of this kind of access, uh, these access issues. And I. Um, I just said to her eventually, I said, I know I had been seen with by the hospital OTs who really work with uh, the the babies rather than mothers. And they were just they were just not able to, not understanding that this needed to be sorted and were asking me to go and order stuff from the hc outside of the hospital and bring it in and all this kind of stuff and it was just nightmarish so i rang katie and i said look i'm really sorry but i'm going to have to call in call in the friend card here i need you to come in and help me and she did and she i will never forget hearing her in the corridor saying the same words i was saying about the things i needed and her being listened to and them saying yes yes we'll sort that yes yes when i had been saying it for two days on my own and nobody hearing so i now i'm i'm very grateful that i had the that i had the the wisdom i guess to say okay i need to do something here and i need to call call in the troops I was also very lucky that I have the troops in my life um and that we were able to do that but eventually it transpired that actually there was a better toilet two doors up and that nobody had looked closely or realized what exactly I had been saying and that actually they did have most of what I needed they just didn't realize they had. So I was moved then into the room where I stayed for the remainder of my stay. Things still weren't perfect by uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And I think what I learned from that experience was that there's a lot of training in our maternity hospitals around women having babies and that whole process. There isn't necessarily a lot of knowledge around having a disability before the fact. Even down to, you know, I used a walking frame after having surgery for a few days to to get to and from the bathroom. So the cleaning staff would line everything up lovely and tightly over in the corner where I couldn't reach anything. So then I couldn't actually get out of bed myself because everything I used to get out of bed had been moved away out of my reach. So it was sort of that knowledge that people were kind of missing. Um, So anyway... uh, the week before having having ricky was was wasn't an intense week and it certainly made me feel like oh my goodness how is this actually going to go if this is what the preparation is like um and i did feel quite lonely and worried at that time because you know i just i suppose i was reminded of the the shortcomings of our system that are My pregnancy had been so positive in the support that I had all around me that when I got to the crunch that it was looking like, it might be a really difficult experience. So anyway, we got it all sorted. And um, the morning of my C-section, I write a newspaper column. So at 6am, I wrote my column. And I was, because it was just, it's just the thing that centers me in in my world. I had only told my readers a few weeks previously that I was pregnant. So I had kept the secret all along because we just wanted it to have that private time. And then, so I wrote about being ready for my C-section on the morning of my C-section. And I remember my husband, David, came in early that morning and looked at me as if to say, you are writing your column, aren't you? And I was like, yep, I am, because it's all I know. And it's the thing that's going to keep me distracted and it'll be grand. so I went down at nine o'clock in the morning and um, then at, I suppose, half eleven, An emergency, well, maybe 11 o'clock, an emergency whizzed past us. So a poor lady um, needing a C-section a lot faster than I did um, went past me. And I just remember thinking, you know what? This last week was worth it because I'm not in that situation. I'm here and I'm ready and I'm safe and I know what's happening and it'll all be fine. And thankfully, that baby was perfectly fine too and that mum everything everything worked out for them. So that was really nice to see as well. Um, and I had had meetings with the anesthetists and I had had obviously umpteen meetings with my obstetrician. So I knew what was going to happen. I had been quite nervous about the um, anesthesia side of things because of the spasticity in my body, so the tension and also the curvature in my spine I thought things might be a bit tricky and it turned out that actually no they weren't at all and the anaesthetist kind of looked at me as if to say do you not realize I'm a professional and I know what I'm doing and it'll be fine and um, I remember when we were having the meeting about halfway through he turned around and said do you work in healthcare or something? And I was like, well, not really. of, so I worked in kind of allied health. And he was like, you, your, your questions are extremely comprehensive and very detailed. You really know what you're talking about. Uh, I was like, well, yes, I, you know, I've come into this with my eyes open. I have a significant condition that we have to mitigate for. So that's why I'm asking these questions. And so the one thing I had asked was, Um, that the anaesthetists not ever ask me to stay still. So it's almost like that thing of laughing at a funeral. If you tell me to stay still, I will jump. Like, no matter what. Like, if you say, don't move now, I will move. So I was like, please just don't ask me. Just do your thing. Just... Hold me whatever you need to hold me. Don't tell me about it. Just do it. And so we were inside, all gowned up and ready to go. And Beanie this, just said, Okay, now I'm getting to the critical point now, so don't move. Hmm. <laughs> so I just looked. Yeah. So, so I just looked at my obstetrician and she just like looked, smiled at me and then. The anaesthetist said, I'm so sorry, I'm just used to saying that, that, you know, it's it's par for the course, so I have to say it. do you know what? It's probably an insurance thing as well that he actually. Yeah, possibly. Now, so, um, but he didn't tell me that. But anyway. Uh, I remember then there was this moment where I was like I'm actually gonna move now I told you all this is gonna happen and I so I said stop I said everybody stop don't do anything don't do anything for a moment and they all stopped and I just looked at her she said don't worry I've got you you will not move and she like rugby tackled me almost on the table and held me still and I never felt so safe as I was in that I was like she has my back she knows what she's doing she knows me for the last six months she knows why I said this she knows why this is happening and she's doing her job and it was just so reassuring I was like yeah we're away this is gonna be fine and they did their they did their thing and then uh when the anesthetic went into my body um it was a really strange feeling because I had never felt what it was like not to have the tension in my body. So I got really emotional. So then they got worried that I wasn't feeling OK. And I was like i'm perfectly fine Woo-hoo. c-section every week please <laughs> they were just like okay and david was sitting next to me and he was like you're actually enjoying this like this is weird and i was like this is such a weird feeling like and he he was just you know just calm down now like you know this is the serious bit. like and um i could actually see there was a chrome light above my head so I could actually see the reflection of what was happening under the curtain. So I pretty much watched the C-section. I wouldn't be squeam- squeamish in any way, whatever, whatsoever, but David would be. And he kind of copped what I was doing and sort of said, Julie, stop watching. You, you're <laughs> going to, you're going to freak yourself out. And I was like, no, they're doing fine. They're doing a great job. And like, So anyway, I was happy out. And uh, then, um, you know, they had that moment where they lifted Ricky out and up into the air, like the Lion King moment. And uh, yeah. it was just incredible. It was just an amazing feeling. And they kept telling me, you know, you're going to feel really, real pressure now. You're going to feel really uncomfortable. And I never did. And, you know, I I really never did. And I was like, gosh, there must be such a level of tension in my body ordinarily that if other if this is what other women feel, you know, that that mm. I, I'm feeling totally zen here with this. Um so that was that was lucky <laughs> and and um so he came out then and he was placed in my arms and I remember thinking before he was born, like, you know, that moment when that happens, I'll just tense up, like, I don't know how to, I can't hold a baby lying down, I'd have to be sitting up and really thinking about it and in my position to be able to hold a baby, like, are they mad, are they going to hand a baby to me, like, I'll drop it, like, that's what's happening, I'll drop it, and uh, I, I never voiced that because, like, how can you turn around to people and say, well, my first fear is that when you hand me my child, I'll drop him or her. And
0: uh, so, like. Uh, you'd be surprised how many, because also, like, the the rush of hormones, you just kind of, you don't really know what to do for a moment. But you'd be surprised the amount of people who. yeah are nervous about that, but also hold baby and they're like, Okay, someone else take the baby. Yeah. Just, you know, because it's just very intense. Very
2: intense. But I remember he just looked up at me with his beautiful eyes. And I was like, oh my God. Like Mm -hmm we've got this like you're here and you know you fit there like you actually fit there and he just looked at me like of course I do don't be such an idiot <laughs> and then they took him off for all the checks and all the rest of it and pretty much immediately I got a real reaction to the and the anesthesia so I got the real itch um oh, from the morphine I think it is I got the real itch and I felt like like tearing my face off like straight away. And I was just like, oh gosh. But one of my friends had said, um, if this happens, ask for such and such a drug. I can't even remember now. So I was like, oh, everything's itchy. And so like they gave me the drugs fairly quickly. And then to be honest, recovery is a bit of a blur. Um, like the first couple of hours is a bit of a blur. Um my mom, My obstetrician had organized for my mum to be in the recovery room so that David wouldn't have to be nervous about holding Ricky either. Um, That we would have that extra support if we needed. I think maybe she got 30 seconds of a hold and he was like, okay, get me back.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I got this.
2: (laughs) This is fine. We're grand. And uh, so, and then um, I remember being back in the... In the ward and uh, my brother Dermot, has quite significant health issues and he's had a lot of surgeries in his life and um, he also has Down syndrome and he is just a king at recovering and what he does is he just stops and he just lets it happen. So he always sleeps longer than the anaesthetists think he will. He always, like, takes longer to come around and all of that. And I think it's partly why he's recovered from death's door a number of times. So that day I was like, okay, just make like Dermot and just let it happen. You know, you're now in a space where you need to recover. You need to do this right and uh mm. you know it was it's probably a gift that he has given me over the years of, of seeing him in a very bad way that i i was able to kind of get myself to that space and be like okay just do this now the way you do it and then of course there was the added um excitement of having a newborn baby on top of that and actually not being able to do any of that because he had a newborn and um uh I remember thinking, when they rolled the cot over to the bed, how am I going to get him out of that cot? Myself, I can't, I know I can't, I can't do it safely and um, I remember thinking like that's fine now while mum is here and while David is here, what happens at two o'clock this morning when I'm by myself? And um, I didn't say anything for a long time. And then a couple of hours later, mom went, that cot isn't going to do it all. Like, how are you going to get him out of that, out of that cot? And I just remember thinking, oh, thank God. Like, it wasn't just in my head that this was difficult. You know, it actually is difficult to do. Um, so uh, I was able to put him in to the cot, but I wasn't able to get him out whatever way I needed to twist so if I needed to get him out I called a nurse or whatever and it was fine um but it was just really emotional because I was like I'm not a pregnant woman anymore so now I'm back to being the disabled girl and I really did have a moment of wow that was a lovely interlude there where I was the same as everybody else for a while and then I had to kind of deal with all of I need a different way of doing this to most people just give me the space to figure it out um so uh, a couple of days after sorry so Ricky was born on Tuesday on Monday and on Tuesday there was a, a a care assistant kind of in my room and there was, there had been a care assistant on our ward all the previous week, like helping, showering and all of that stuff. And if you needed help from her, you asked her and it was done and that was it. So I kind of just assumed that this was part of, part of the service and that was what was happening. And at about 11 o'clock that morning, um I said to her, you know, we're fine. You know, I'll call you um when... I need you and she was like oh no I've been told not to leave you alone with the baby so I was entirely blindsided and like incredulous because nobody had spoken to me about anything about that um so I burst into tears if I'm honest and she was like oh I'm really sorry I don't mean to upset you what have I said to upset you and I said you just told me I can't be alone with my son how can you not see that that's upsetting and she was like oh well that's you know it's not my decision it's what I've been told and I said that I said that's fine but can you please get one of the nurses or or somebody um I need to speak to somebody about this and the staff came down to me and without being disingenuous for the wonderful care I got, that situation was dealt with really, really badly. Um, Because if somebody had communicated with me for the whole week that I had been there and said, listen, we think things are gonna be a bit tough on you when you have your baby, we're gonna put extra support in for you so that you don't have to call us for anything so that there is somebody there if you need them, I would have said oh my god thank you so much that's so helpful I can't believe you know that you're you're supporting me in that way you know and
0: but they created a very awkward situation between the two of you as well when it could have been it could have been completely different very easily
2: and that poor care assistant it wasn't her fault at all and she was as you say thrust into a situation where she wasn't able to deal with Mm. um so I rang David and I would be extremely strong on being a self-advocate but it was probably the first time in our eight-year relationship that I said you need to come in here and you need to advocate for me now Um, and later that day I got a visit from the director of service in the hospital and was again told that you know it really wasn't up to me how they staffed their hospital and they couldn't understand why I was so upset and you know that it was no big deal really and um i think not being allowed to be alone with my one day old son is a big deal um particularly when they were perfectly fine with me being alone with him at night it 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 didn't make sense to me and you know it was a case again i think of a disconnect between on the ground and higher management higher management were looking at the the risk of me on paper and not speaking to me or not um not you know communicating with me in the correct manner when I spoke to my obstetrician about it she was upset she couldn't understand how this whole chapter had been missed when I had been there for a week um and I'm sure you've caught by now, I'm not a quiet person, I'm quite articulate, I'm able to discuss Mm. difficult things. I'm quite quite practical about what I can and can't do. Um, And, you know, if somebody had said to me, this extra support is here, I would have said, thank you very much amazing. All of the things that went wrong with my experience were so unnecessary and so much of my experience was so positive and so wonderful yeah. and I have a wonderful gorgeous healthy baby boy as a result and sometimes that gets clouded when I'm thinking about that week because of the lack of communication. I, I remember coming home and being like yeah like this is why we've set up this situation where we have the support that we need because I don't feel scared anymore I have I have the support that I need and my son has the support that he needs and you know what I am a good mom (laughs) and the the last 12 months have shown that I am a good mom and you know like that it's just little things that are You know, I I don't know if you know any other one year olds that can put the brake on a wheelchair on. My son can, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and he'll he'll look at me sideways (laughs) if the brakes not on as if to say, Mom, I want to stand here. You need to have the brake on. (laughs) So, you know, um, there there are pros and cons to everything. But, you know, I I wouldn't change him in a million years. And as I, I want to reiterate that a lot of my experience was really, really positive. It was, yeah. That yeah. communication piece that needs to, and it's the same the world over with, with disability services. I think that, you know, we just forget to include the person in, in, in decisions a lot of the time. And um, because we think we know what's best. And mm. I think for any mother, nobody knows your body better than you do and nobody can make those decisions really except you and um it's like it's a it's a big weight to have on your shoulders to make those decisions but then if you've put your heart and soul into making them for nine months and then it's Mm. all called into question at the last minute over something really tiny um that like it's it's just a shame that that had to happen and then as I say in light of coronavirus it does feel really tiny that actually we had a really good experience um you know I was able to be in a hospital for 14 days and be perfectly safe and have loads of visitors and and, and loads of support um so all in all it was it was a good outcome um and you know it was an interesting space to be in emotionally. Mm, yeah. um, because I do it every day in my work on behalf of other people. But when I was in it myself and trying to hold back the tears unsuccessfully, it was a much harder thing to do. Um, but then again, I was bolstered by the fact that I was doing it for my son. Actually, he deserves the right start. He deserves his mom to be picking him up. He deserves me to be well. He deserves that I'm able to manage as well as I'm possibly able to manage yes I'm not going to be able to do everything that's perfectly fine Mm. but let me do what I can do Um, and let me you know be as close to him as as I can do and as I say I had some wonderful people I remember one of the nursery nurses who gives the babies their first bath I remember watching a few from afar um, and like they init- they they make you do it yourself you know because they 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 take away that fear like you have to be able to bat your baby you're going home so bathe your baby just do it suck it up come on and i remember Trish she was actually a neonatal nurse when i was born um and so she was minding the babies now so that was a really a really lovely connection um so she just Took Ricky on the day he was supposed to have his, um, have his first bath, and said, "Come on, Julie, get into your wheelchair. We're going down to give Ricky his bath." And she did all of the pieces that she needed to do. She didn't make me do anything, and she said, sure, "Look, you and I both know." Your mom's going to be doing this when you're at home. So, you know, there's no need to worry about this. Granny's going to have it sorted. You're all going to be fine. And placed the baby back in my arms, safe in the bed and all hunky-dory. There was no anxiety for me. There was no worries for me. It was just an acknowledgement of, we all know you have the supports in place. You've told us all umpteen times. We all know you're not going to take an undue risk with your son in an environment that you don't know. For the record, I can bath my son at home safely where I know how everything works and we have our system set up, but I yeah. wasn't going to do it in a situation that I didn't know that that was the case. Um, and I think that was, that is something that annoys me all of the time um, in terms of people with disabilities, just in every sphere of life, but particularly as mothers. like. We need to stop underestimating people. You know, it's like, wow, you know, you, you you got married. Wow, you drive a car. Wow, you had a baby. It's not actually, you know, noteworthy, really. Most women in their 30s have their family. Um, so why shouldn't I? Uh, why shouldn't myself and my husband embark on that journey? It's really encouraging to know that by sharing my story and by doing all of the things that happened and by going through all of the things that happened that change can happen for for other people or that even for myself next time around
0: thank you so much
2: you're doing amazing work and please keep it up because I do hope that there are other people that you know I think if I had heard somebody in my situation tell their story like that that I would have been like okay that's what I need to do a b and c and put that in place you know um, I thought of most of it, but I should have talk, thought about after Ricky was born a little bit more. It was lovely to talk to you, Corey.
0: I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to share your story, you can pop me an email to irelandsbirthstories at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram under Birth Stories.
1: Hold up.